Shalom, everyone. Thank you for joining me this morning on Let's Talk Torah. This is Sunday, November 13th, 2022. So glad you are here. Hope you're having a blessed day. I'm just thankful for Robert's word just a few minutes ago on mercy poured forth. It really is so important, the words that we speak and the lasting impacts that they can have in our lives and others, whether that be uh, positive or negative. You, you never know what a simple word can do to somebody either direction. So we all need that constant reminder, even if it's just us murmuring something under our breath. Yah hears it. He knows it. We cannot hide anything from him. So such a great reminder to really bring us back and, you know, try to work on ourselves. That's the, that's the best we can do is admit that we have faults, that we're not perfect and never will be, but where can we work on things to strive for perfection, to emulate and walk like our Messiah did. So wonderful word this morning. Thank you everyone in the chat for joining me. Great to see everyone. Shell, my wife, Lee, Dan, good to see you. Glad you're making it. Hope you get that coffee soon. I know I'm already on my second cup. I need need a little bit extra each morning I do these shows just so my attention is sharp. I'm not always used to reading early in the morning, so it helps me stay on track. I have really enjoyed this Torah portion. We are week four, just finished that up, Veera, and it's such an amazing portion. So much in there. Uh, just like each and every week, I, I really have enjoyed these in-depth studies we've been doing since this new cycle has started with our Friday fellowship, being able to discuss the portions, uh, get different insights from others, as well as just programs we watch, uh, me and my wife on our own, uh, various YouTubes and things like that. I just love soaking in all the different insights uh, that people have to really get a more in-depth idea you know, you think, well, this is the beginning of creation, you know, Adam and Eve or Noah, uh, Abraham, you know, surely their lives can't relate to mine. I'm in the 21st century, but that is so not true. And the more I read and study the Torah, even in the beginning, I'm seeing so many similarities. And though life may be different back then, there's still so much that we can relate to and, re and learn from. Uh, their examples, their their woes, their 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 sins. There's so many consequences and lessons in these first five books um, to to really shape who we are uh, in our lives. So they're just so amazing. It was really cool. We actually have had this movie for quite some time and have never gotten around to watching it. And of course, yesterday was Shabbat, and it was kind of a rainy, cold day. Uh, so we were just kind of hanging out, deciding what we wanted to do, and we decided to watch a movie. And so we realized, hey, we haven't actually watched this movie before, and it was called The Bible in the Beginning, and I believe it's from 1966. Uh, it's got uh, quite a few famous actors, uh, really enjoyed it, and it was just amazing that out of nowhere, we were compelled to watch this movie, and it literally verbatim almost goes line by line from the very beginning of creation in Genesis 1 all the way through and ends with the sacrifice of Isaac and, and the ram that's found uh, with Avraham. 
exactly where we have ended with this tour portion. And it's just one another reminder that YAH is there working in every way possible. And if you're not paying attention, if your eyes aren't open, things like that are just going to fly by and you not even realize the significance. And it just really touched me that, you know, what's the odds that we choose to watch this movie we've had for a year and never have watched it you know, yesterday as we finished up that very exact portion. So please dig into the Torah each and every week. Those portions are so incredible. They are alive and they will work in your life differently each year. That's one thing I'm learning out and finding as my seasons and years change. The Torah portion doesn't, but at the same time it does because you're in a new season, new part of your life. And it can still be relatable. So it was just really great. And I actually have listed the link to that movie. Uh, I believe it's a, you don't have to, you can rent it. I know it's on Amazon. You could probably even find a copy to purchase for fairly cheap. Uh, but I did list a link in the description. And I believe it's the entire movie for free if you'd like to watch it that way. Uh, it was really excellent. Like I said, from 1966 you know, where they didn't have CGI, they actually had to rely on, you know, building sets and uh, the cinematography. It was really awesome uh, to kind of see it dramatically acted out uh, all the way from the beginning of creation, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah and the flood and his family, and then on to Avraham. So great movie if you haven't seen it before. So this portion really spoke to me a lot. I, of course, we watch uh, Jacob's Tent usually on a, on our Shabbat. We really enjoy the message that Bill Cloud brings. And one thing he was talking about yesterday was, uh, and we'll see this as well in, so, in this half Torah portion, uh, kind of as a parallel with the, the parasha and Avraham, you know, when he's visited by Yahuwah and the, the two angels, the three messengers. You know, he is essentially in his tent recovering and resting. He just went through the circumcision of himself and all the men. And so, you know, he was unprepared for any type of guest. But lo and behold, when he least expected it, the father shows up and he welcomed them in with hospitality, no questions asked. And he and what Bill Cloud was essentially relaying was, you know, we need to be ready for that unexpected visit. Is our house clean? Now, physically, maybe our house is tidy and cleaned up or maybe it's not. But it's more of a our, our house in here and our heart and our mind, our spiritual home that Yah reign, wants to reign in and stay in, you know, is that clean? Is that ready to welcome in him? Is he going to want to welcome himself in, you know, and more than likely he will come at a time least expectant, just like the second coming says when people least expect it is when that time will come. And so we'll see some of this uh, mentioned in the half Torah and as well as the Basora portion today. I just love how it all interconnects um, it's just a really great portion overall, all three sections. So I'm excited to get into it and read these today. Let's see, let me get it pulled up and, uh, I will have a little commentary for everybody as well in this first portion. 
Let's see. Like I said, this is week four, Veera. The half Torah is going to come from 2 Kings chapter 4, 1 through 37. And the Besorah portion is out of Luke 17, 28 through 37. All right. So this first portion is about Elisha, the prophet, and the widow. Uh, some very powerful things in this. I'm excited to dig in. So just read along with me and uh, we'll get this finished up and then move on to the Besorah. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets, the prophet disciples as found in several communities in Canaan, unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear Yahuwah. He had been a God-fearing prophet in truth and not in name only. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. For this is the law permitted to the next year of Jubilee. And in Leviticus 25, 39, we see, And if your brother that dwells by you be waxen poor, and be sold unto you, you shall not compel him to serve as a bondservant. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? He asked her first to suggest some way of helping her. Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Thy handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Literally, the anointing oil, such as was used after a bath. Then he said, Go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. She was not to be bashful about asking her neighbors for help. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, to keep out every interruption, noise, and distraction. And shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him, and having borrowed vessels as she had been told, she shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out in a steady stream. And it came to pass when the vessels were full, namely those she had on hand, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. It ceased flowing when the available vessels were all filled. Then she came and told the man of Elohim, leaving it to his wisdom to decide how she dis would, should dispose of the oil. And he said, Go sell the oil and pay the debt. Satisfy the creditor and thus get rid of him. And live thou and thy children of the rest, namely of the money which remained after paying her creditor. Elohim is ever the father of the widows and the orphans, and has in many a case provided all that certain ones needed to support their body and life, even in an invently miraculous manner. Verse 8. 
And it fell on a day just about that time that Elisha passed to Shinem, a city in the northern part of the plain of Jezreel, on the slope of the little Hermon, where was a great woman, one of considerable local prominence. And she constrained him to eat bread, to partake of her hospitality. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, probably on his way to and from Mount Carmel, he turned in hither to eat bread. And she, after this had happened a number of times, said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of Elohim, not a fraud, a wandering false prophet, such as may have infested the roads, just as they do today, which path by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set from him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick, and it shall be, when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in hither. What she suggested was a walled-up chamber, one built upon the fiat roof of the house, which could be reached by an outside stairway, with walls which would be a protection against every kind of weather. And it fell on a day, it happened at another time, that he came in thither, and he turned into the chamber, and lay there, resting from his long journey. And he said to Gyaza, his servant, of whom nothing else is known, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him, that is, Gyaza, who thereupon communicated to her the rest of Elisha's words. And he said unto him, Before he went down, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. She had shown them all possible careful consideration, the most painstakingly hospitality. What is to be done for thee? What would she ask in return? Would thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? Elisha had great influence with most with the most important men in the country and might easily have gotten favors for the woman. <clears throat> and she answered, I dwell among mine own people. She was well content with her position among the lowly and did not long for life at court. And he said, What then is to be done for her? In what way could he show his appreciation of the kindness shown? And Gyaza answered, making a conjecture which was based upon the general opinion in the nation. Truly, she hath no child, a fact which was considered a disgrace, if not a curse of Elohim in Israel. And her husband is old, where seemed to be little hope for the Shunammite to enjoy the blessing of a child. And he said, desiring to communicate with her directly, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door, her modesty and respect not permitting her to advance in the room. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, in the natural course of events, thou shalt embrace a son. And she, almost overwhelmed by the prospect which exceeded her fondness hopes, said, Nay, my Adani, thy man of Elohim, do not lie unto thine handmaid, 
she feared the disappointment following unfulfilled hopes. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. In this way did Yahuwah reward the woman for her kindness to his servant. It is he who also today gives children the fruit of the womb to believing parents as a reward, and they will appreciate them accordingly. I love this part because we see the same exact thing happen to Avraham and Sarah as the three messengers came in their old age and told them that in this season next year, they would bear a son. And of course, we know Sarah laughed because she didn't think that was possible. She was old and just did not have that trust and faith that she could have a child. Of course, all things are possible with Yah. And by being obedient and believing, he can perform miracles. So I loved that connection between the Shunammite woman and Sarah. All right, on to verse 18. And when the child was grown, having become a boy of some size, it fell on a day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, at the time of harvest, the hottest time of the year. And he said unto his father, my head, my head. He was evidently suffering from a heat stroke. And he, probably believing it to be a passing attack, said to the lad, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees where she held him in apprehensive fear till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of Elohim, intending to keep his death secret for a while, at least until she had started on her trip, and shut the door upon him and went out. She had her plan made and did not intend to let anyone or anything interfere with her preparations. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men. For since it was harvest, she would be satisfied with only one servant to accompany her, instead of the customary two, and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of Elohim and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath, the times when religious assemblies were held and the people came to the prophets for instruction. And she said, it shall be well, literally meaning peace, that is, never mind, don't worry. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, drive and go forward, slack not thy riding for me. Literally, do not hinder the riding. He should have the beast kept up a regular swift pace, except I bid thee. So she went and came unto the man of Elohim to Mount Carmel some twenty miles to the west. And it came to pass, when the man of Elohim saw her afar off, that he said to Giazah his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? 
These were the usual questions seeking information concerning the welfare of such as one had not seen for a while. And she answered when Gyaza had put these questions to her, It is well. Again, which is equal to, never mind, don't worry. An expression by which she wanted to pacify the questioner without giving definite information. And when she came to the man of Elohim to the hill, she caught him by the feet, following down before him and taking hold of his knees in the overwhelming power of her grief. But Giaza came near to thrust her away, considering it improper for the prophet to be urged in that manner. And the man of Elohim said, Let her alone, and her soul is vexed within her, full of bitter questionings. And Yahuwah hath hid it from me, and hath hid, and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I deserve desire a son of my Adani? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? She did not state the cause of her bitterness outright but Elisha could easily draw his conclusions. She had not asked for a son, but now that she had lost the child of her old age, she felt more deeply stricken than ever before. Verse 29. Then he said to Gyaza, Gird up thy loins for a rapid trip, and take my staff in your hand, and go thy way, if thou meet any man, salute him not, and if any salute thee, answer him not again. He was to let no delay interfere with his journey, for he was the representative of the prophet, and his mission required haste and concentration. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. The laying of the prophet's staff on the boy's face was not intended to act as magic, but had the purpose of taking from the minds of men, all superstitious ideas. And the mother of the child, fearing that the prophet would not personally go to Shunim, said, As Yahuwah live, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. She insisted that he come in person, and he arose and followed her. And Gyaza passed on before them, and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing, no reaction, no response. Yahweh did not intend the miracle to be performed in this way. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awakened. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead, not merely unconscious as Elisha had may have hoped, and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them tw twice, them too, himself and the dead boy, and prayed unto Yahuwah. And he went up, namely on the bed, and lay upon the child, and put his mouth upon his mouth, and his eyes upon his eyes, and his hands upon his hands, to impart warmth to the corpse. And he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm, recovering from the chill of death. And he returned and walked in the house to and fro, as one under the stress of a great emotion, awaiting the fulfillment of his prayer, and went up and stretched himself upon him 
And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gaza and said, Call this Shunammite, that he called, so he called her. And when she was come in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed himself to the ground, overcome by a motion of wonder and gratitude, and took up her son and went out. Such miracles as that here recorded, but much more those related of Yahusha of Nazareth, are the guarantee of the general resurrection at the end of the days. Such a great passage. I really enjoy all that, connecting it from the portion we read in Genesis with Avraham, Sarah, very, very interesting. And then the raising of the dead has so many, you know, prophetic connotations for Yahusha when he was here. Just so amazing. Sorry, I have not been reading these comments. I've got quite a few. I thank everybody that is participating here, just going through. Good to see you again, T. Glad you are here. And Judy, good morning. Beck, Thank you for joining us. And Stephanie, so glad to see you guys. Everybody's got their coffee. That's good. Yeah, I'm going to grab a sip here while I scan through these comments. Yeah, Dan says, I just learned that Eve's name is not Eve. I had heard that the name was changed, but I didn't know to what until recently. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking this whole time, and it may be somewhere, if if I'm not correct about this, and if you happen to know, please comment, let me know. But I am not aware that there was ever a name given to Lot's wife. You, All that I can find is her referred to as Lot's wife. And I don't know if there's a purpose and reason for that. Maybe it was because of her disobedience that she was not you know, given that honor to even be called by name. I just found that very interesting that uh, in all the passages that I've read regarding Lot and his family and the destruction and her disobeying and turning around into the pillar of salt that became her, her demise, you don't ever hear her actually be called by name. So I found that very interesting. Let's see, Judy was saying, yeah, she, my mother took us to see that movie at the theater when it first came out, talking about the Bible at the beginning. It really was a great movie. We enjoyed it. Like I said, they don't make them like that anymore. And uh, there's just something special and unique to that type of uh, video where everything was literally, you know, the, the actual Noah's Ark was it's just incredible to see the structure and uh, them on the outside building it and on the inside with all the animals. It was truly amazing. And it just you know, sometimes getting a visual uh, to when you're reading the scripture, it just it, I really enjoy it being able to, you know, visualize it in your mind, but then visualize it on the screen uh, was really great for that whole movie. Yeah, the, the name of Eve was changed to Hua. That's right, Dan. Shalom, Jennifer. Good to see you this morning. Hope all of you are having a blessed Sunday. 
I know the weather is really dropping here. It's been in the 30s, real gloomy and rainy, uh, maybe even some snow expected. So um, hope everyone is staying warm and cozy on this first day of the week. All right, we are going to jump into the Basora. Yeah, I am going to check into some of the hidden books in Jasher and Jubilees. Uh, I haven't got to really thoroughly look through that. If she does have a name, I bet you it would be in one of those. So thank you, Dan, for that comment. I will definitely do a little more digging and hopefully can um, come up with an answer to that. Because like I said, it very well could be out there. I just have not come across it yet. So, all right, let's jump over into Luke chapter 17. And we are going to start in verse 28. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. But the same day that Lot went out of Saddam, Yahuwah rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the son of Adam is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him not likewise, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's woman, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I say unto you, it shall come to pass that two shall be on a couch. One is received and the other forsaken. It shall come to pass that two shall be professing the truth for the same. One is received and the other forsaken. It shall come to pass that two shall be in the field. One is received and the other forsaken. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Adonai? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. You know, the only time that brimstone is mentioned was in these two portions. Out of the Genesis portion we just read with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and this Besor portion in Luke chapter 17. And I do have a video I'm going to share with you guys here in just a moment. Just a quick video of Brimstone, uh, what they have found in that land. Uh, it's truly a very unique and kind of supernatural <laughs> uh, material. So let's see. I have one last thing I wanted to read and then we'll get to that video. So just to sum this portion up. The thought which stands out from Yahuwah's warning is this, that it will be too late to prepare for Yahuwah's coming, for Messiah's coming, when his hour has come, when the judgment burst upon the world. The suddenness of the breaking of judgment day will take every person where he just happens to be at that time. A man will be up on the flat roof of the house, he will neither have nor should he attempt to take time to go down and get any instruments or possessions. 
a man will be out in the field. He sh also should not turn back behind him for anything of this world's goods that he may have valued. As when an army of the enemy makes a sudden successful assault and only precipitates flight will save the inhabitants. He that turns back for, for money, clothes, or other goods is lost. So the person whose mind is still attached to the things of this world on the last day is beyond hope of salvation. The example of Lot's wife should be before the minds of the believers at all times. Had she not turned behind her to satisfy her curiosity, she might have saved her soul with the rest. Her hesitation proved her destruction. He that in the last emergency will have nothing in mind but the saving of this earthly life and the goods that are necessary for its preservation will lose forever the true life in and with Elohim. But he who desires are free from all love for this world and what it has to offer that has denied himself and all that this might have given him, he will save his life, the life in Elohim, his soul and its eternal salvation. Mashiach repeats this war warning once more with great emphasis. In that same night, two men will be occupying the same bed, of whom one will be accepted and the other rejected. Two women will be grinding flour at the same mill. One will be accepted, the other will be rejected. Two men will be in the field. The one will be accepted, the other will be rejected. And the emphasis on Yahweh was not without its effect upon the disciples. In awe and fear, they barely breathed the question, Where, Adonai? Where will all this happen? And he told them, Where the dead body is, there will the eagles gather themselves together. The world, especially in the last days, will be, and today is, like a decaying carcass, whose stench rises up into the heavens, and judgment and destruction will come upon the entire spiritually dead and morally rotten human race. It is a strong but fitting figure, revealing the world as it is in its true condition, without a redeeming feature to recommend it in the sight of Elohim. You know, that day is coming. It is coming when we least expect it. And we must be ready at all times, focused on what lies ahead. Another great example in this Torah portion was just the, the faith and devotion that Avraham had to the father. You know, it says that Lot was a righteous man, but how righteous was he? You know, he was living in a city of wickedness. He was allowing himself to still partake in the world. He may not be committing these abominations that the rest were, but he was still allowing him and his family to live there. And you can tell by him not wanting to flee to the mountains. You know, he begged, can I go to this smaller city? He was hesitant and really not wanting to leave the world. You know, he still had that foot in the world. 
And that applies to us today. You know, what are we still keeping in the world that we are holding on to? Possessions, uh, you know, hobbies, music or movies. There's so many things that still hold us down, keeping one foot in the world. And we must separate from that. We must be set apart from the world. You can see this example here that Avraham was willing to listen to the Father at all times without question. He offered a was willing to sacrifice his his one Yahid, his unique son, after he had been promised seed of generations. You know how how can I have this promise if you're asking me to sacrifice my only son? That had to be devastating to him. But he was willing to do that. And by his faith and his obedience, was he then in turn, did that save his family? Did that save Lot and give Lot and his family a chance, even though they were still in the world? They were living in that. That gives me hope that my faithfulness and honoring him, our father, may give some of my family a chance, even if they are not completely righteous, if they're still living in the world, that should give us hope and just more desire to please the Father because we don't know what may become of that. It may not just save our soul, but others that we love and care for. So I thought that was another beautiful kind of underlying message in this whole portion here that I really did enjoy and I wanted to share because I hope that gives you hope. You know, we all have those family and friends that you know, righteous or not, they may be living in that world. They may still be in Babylon, like Jennifer says, the tethers to Babylon, you know, still tied down, chained down. We all have the key to our chains, but are we willing to undo it? So just let that give you hope and give you a stronger desire to honor the Father in righteousness and obedience, to be at his becking call, no matter what he asks of us. All right, so I am going to play this quick video, and then we will just finish up. I just wanted to share, I thought it was a, if you haven't ever seen Brimstone before, it's very unique, and they claim that this type is really only found in the region where they believe Saddam and Amora was uh, in the plains near the Dead Sea. And it's very interesting. It's You can see that it's just embedded in layers of dirt. And uh, they say a lot of these pieces that they have found were actually preserved because they were, uh, when they fell from heaven, they were extinguished by water. And so that's what preserved them. Otherwise, they would have just burnt up. And as you can see, you'll see here in a moment, they just kind of melt away into a horribly looking goo. They say that the smell is just awful. Uh, maybe one of the most grotesque smells you'll ever uh, encounter. So let me get this playing real quick so we can see. And there shouldn't be any sound, but I just wanted to share this real quick so you can see. How destructive it must have been as these cities were destroyed 
by this fire and brimstone. That's why I wanted to share this video, because like I said, the only two places it's mentioned in scriptures is from this portion of this week. And if anyone has ever smelt sulfur in the water, uh, any other way, you know how putrid and almost burns your nostrils. And like they were saying, this stuff is... 90 plus percent pure where most sulfur is roughly only 40 to 50 percent purity so it would be extremely just i don't even know the word it's awful to smell and as you can see when it burns at night it glows blue and then just melts melts away into a, a goo so what destruction those cities in agony they must have felt and experienced. That is coming again. We do not want to be in Sodom and Gomorrah part two. You know, when Messiah comes and that fire and brimstone is rained upon the earth, you know, we do not want to be having that one foot in Babylon. And Jennifer has a great comment here. Yahweh has been showing me that we must seek out our own tethers to Babylon and cut those ties, whether it be people, money, entertainment, food, anything that causes us to look back in our hearts. Amen. That is so well said. You know, that just about sums up everything that we have a connection to that Babylon society, the beast system. Um, just very well said. Thank you for sharing that, Jennifer. You know, it is so important when be ready because we do not know when that time is going to come when we least expect it. And we are not to look back on our life in the past. We're to press forward, focusing on him because looking back will do nothing but hold us back. It will turn us into a statue where we cannot press forward and to honor Yah in our actions and our way of living. So thank you everybody that tuned in today. Have a gr uh, great week. We will be praying for you. If you do have any prayer requests, 
any comments, please email us. Check out our website at www.heartofthetribes.org. You can find all of our emails there. You can find links to join our Telegram groups. We would love for you to join and fellowship there. Such a great place to offer up praise reports, worship songs, just encouragement so we can help build each other up in these times because they are tough and they're not getting easier. It's just, it's how it's going to be. And we have to accept that. And the only way to stay strong is by staying focused on our father and the son, Yahusha. So blessings all to you. Thank you for joining me. And we hope that you come back later this week for some more Heart of the Tribe content. Shalom, everyone.